I really feel super strongly that as entrepreneurs, we can't accept those trade-offs that you work hard. Hard and then if it all works out later in life, you can enjoy your kids or you can be healthy or whatever the trade-off is. So I spent a lot of years with the only two things in the world was whatever business I was running and time with my family, which I optimized for very hard. So if I think about you know the the highlight reel, it's yeah, I started, scaled up, and exited six companies. I had some incredible experiences, but I, you know, I'm most proud of the decision to kind of, you know spend the time I did with my family now that my girls are, you know, grown. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality. And that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. Today, we have a visionary guest in the studio, Mac Lackey, an entrepreneur with a fervor for blockchain, sports, and scaling businesses. Mac has been at the forefront of innovation since 1995 when he started an internet company a decision that foreshadowed his belief in the groundbreaking potential of blockchain technology. While cryptocurrency has faced its share of challenges and controversies, Mac remains undeniably bullish on blockchain, recognizing it as a foundational shift with implications already being explored by banks and nations, even if it's not yet mainstream. In this episode, Mark and Mac dive deep into how blockchain is poised to reshape the future of business. Mac enlightens us by explaining that while customers may not notice a significant difference in their user experience, essential financial transactions are increasingly adopting blockchain technology for enhanced efficiency and transparency. Drawing from his personal experiences in cumbersome international banking, Mac illustrates how blockchain could streamline such processes. But that's not all. Mac introduces a groundbreaking concept of digital seat ownership in the sports arena. A vision where fans could possess digital rights to seats, much like being remote landlords. This concept promises more transparent and profitable transactions for all parties involved. We'll also get a glimpse into Mac's incredible journey as an entrepreneur, where he's founded and successfully sold six companies while balancing his family life. He emphasizes the importance of designing businesses to operate independently of the owner, adding value for potential exits. Mac's latest venture, Exit DNA, is geared towards advising entrepreneurs on maximizing their company's worth and strategically planning for profitable exits. Join Mark and Mac for a thought-provoking discussion that promises to reshape your perspective on the future of technology, business, and sports. Enjoy the show. Good morning and welcome everybody to the Hero of the Hour podcast. I'm here with Mac Lackey. 
Mac, you know, uh, you talk about three, you talk on your website about three passions, your passion of blockchain, your passion of sports, and your passion of scaling. Uh, I am a huge fan of sports and scaling. I have, I have not become a, a, a fan of blockchain yet, even though I've spent a lot of time studying it. Tell me why I should be a, a fan of blockchain. So, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I believe that blockchain is one of those innovations that, for me, it sort of rewinds back to early in my career. I started my first company in the first quarter of 1995, right after Netscape launched the commercial web browser, I launched an internet company. And at that point, I believe that the internet was going to change everything. And it's easy to see looking backwards um, that it did. Most of our lives are affected it every day. But at that point, I had really smart people, mentors, business leaders telling me it was a fad. No one ever put a credit card on the internet and all of these things that I just fundamentally believed it was a better technology and it was going to create massive change and therefore create opportunity. I look at blockchain in, in kind of a similar way. It's probably the first time in my career, even though I've been very fortunate to have a number of companies and exits and things like that, that I felt like this is an innovation that is literally going to affect just about every business, every bank, every e-commerce company, the way we work, the way we track things. And so even though it hasn't rolled out in a mainstream way, I, I think it has that type of implications. And, you know, all of a sudden, we've all seen artificial intelligence feels like another one of those. Like it just is hard to imagine it not impacting every aspect of our life. Blockchain has lost some external momentum in terms of the press and AI has replaced some of that. But day to day, some of the biggest banks and countries and sovereign nations are all trying to leverage blockchain. So I just think it's a critical shift that we're all going to make. Do you see what? What do you think could prevent it from be, from that prediction coming true? What do you think the what What are the reasons why that would not happen? Well, I think what we're seeing right now is, is certainly the um, again the public face of blockchain also looks like crypto, and crypto has been you know wrought with fraud and deception and all kinds of sketchy things that are that are really making people nervous. Again, a lot of this happened in the mid '90s around the web, similar similar things. But I think the black eye that crypto has has really turned a lot of people off from the whole category, and they're not looking at the underlying technology that enables a lot of these things, which in, in my mind is kind of blockchain. But yeah, that's a you know that's a headwind right now. People don't want to talk about it. People are nervous about it. So I think that has to kind of work its way through the system. I think people are slowly, you mentioned AI, I think people are slowly seeing, or maybe not slowly is the right word, quickly seeing different ways how chat GPT and things are, are you know, influencing their business and what the possibilities are there. What do you think blockchain, let's stand blockchain just for a second, as it's one of your passions. And I, I just need to know more about it. Is yeah. what, do you, what do you think how do you think if you if you fast forward three years or five years, you pick the time frame, how do you how do you think specifically it'll it'll impact businesses? So if I own a business and I'm listening to this podcast, what do you think blockchain could look like in my life in three to five years? Well, what's really interesting about it from my perspective is it probably won't look that much different. What will happen is, you know, again, if you go back to the web, that sort of internet protocols using domain names and HTTP standards. Those things 
now have replaced massive client server networks and banking systems and the way people do literally everything. I mean, most businesses, at least most modern businesses are using, you know, QuickBooks online or salesforce.com or some of these tools that are 100% on internet rails. They're not sitting on any other type of technology. And slowly but surely, similar things are happening with blockchain where I'll give you a perfect example that I'm struggling with even personally. You know, I am a, a resident primarily of the United States. I'm currently in Barcelona. I own a soccer team in the South of Spain. And when I'm wiring money, which I was trying to do this morning from UBS to our bank in Spain, um, I'm paying Euro conversions. I'm having trouble tracking things. I'm paying exchange rates. And to me, when all of that is sitting on a blockchain, it's basically immediately obvious where my money is. I, there is no question about any fees associated with it. It's complete provenance and transparency and why I can't do that with my own money from one of my accounts to another one of my accounts is crazy to me. But that's the modern banking system, which blockchain and some of these other innovations are slowly going to change. And another thing which you may have seen, uh, you mentioned, you know, seeing my site and some of my passions, you know, we filed a patent around a concept called digital seat ownership. And the idea there is, is quite simply, you know, if I am a fan of a, a sport or an entertainer or a venue anywhere in the world, I don't understand why I can't effectively be a remote landlord. Just like a landlord owns an apartment and has a tenant, why can't I not be a fan and benefit from people buying the season tickets and sitting in, quote, my seats in the stadium? Or if there's a special event, why can't I have immediate digital access to that? And so I think all of those things are going to move to kind of crypto and blockchain rails but it'll still feel like you're going on the internet and you're sending money or you're buying a ticket or you're reserving season tickets. It's just that the actual transactions will all take place on the blockchain. I mean, it's all about disintermediation, the, the middleman, whether it be banks or StubHub or or the, the teams itself. Although, although I have to tell you that, that you know some of the sports have done a pretty good job at, at keeping you from transferring your tickets. Anything from you yeah. know, making it impossible to do it uh, electronically to uh, actually taking away your season tickets if you do it. Yeah, I when my family moved to Barcelona many years ago, I was a huge fan of FC Barcelona, the team, and I wanted season tickets. And there's a 100,000 person waiting list to get season tickets. And I went to the black market and 24 hours later, I bought season tickets that were amazing on the 50 yard line. But what kept going through my mind, and again, years, many years later led to the creation of what we call DSOs or digital seat ownership was the fact that Barcelona doesn't know that that transaction happened and that I'm sitting in their stadium. They don't know who's in their stadium. They think season ticket holders are. There's all these people that are doing these black market transactions and more concerning, they didn't make $1 on that transaction. I, pray, I paid a massive premium. And if you have a 98,000 seat stadium like they do, and people are doing these transactions, there's a lot of money at stake. And so shifting these things to blockchain, I think they will go from trying to prevent you from doing these transactions to saying, go ahead, because if Mac decides to sell his tickets to Mark, we're going to know who owns them, how much was paid, and the money can automatically, via a smart contract, 
pay our commission. We don't have to do anything. It's just perfectly transparent. So I, I believe that's going to. How is that different than some, the, of, that. some of the Syria, like in Italy, where because of the, the rioting between cross fans, you have to give the name and the address of the person that's sitting in that seat. Is that yeah. uh, and even, not, not that anyone ever sits in their seats in a, in a, in a football stadium, but uh, you know, I think they're trying different things. But I think your, your point is that it's going to evolve. Tell me what else. you. Yeah. By the way, my, one of my two favorite restaurants in the entire world is in Barcelona. Tickets. So really? Talk about tickets. Okay. Have you been there before? No, I haven't actually. It's uh, it is a. You know, I was not there for dinner. I was there for lunch, and you know, lunch was a beautiful lunch. You know, like any five star, five star resort or a, or a restaurant, rather a Michelin star restaurant. But then you make a reservation for dessert, and it's something out of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and uh, it. it's it's an event. Uh, so yeah. I encourage you to take uh, you know a friend or a, or a family or, or something to that. Oh, where do you spend the rest Absolutely. of the time when you're not in Barcelona? So we, uh, we we own a soccer team in southern Spain, which is the technically the town is Algeciras. It's right on the Strait of Gibraltar at the bottom of Spain. You can see the Rock of Gibraltar over the back of our stadium, and you can see Morocco, 14 kilometers right across the water. So it's this beautiful part of southern Spain at the bottom of the Costa del Sol. And so I basically, um, I'm down for every home match in some of our away games. So I'll, you know, I head down Friday. We have a match on Saturday uh, from Barcelona to Southern Spain. And um, yeah, it's been a really, it's been kind of a fun new chapter. I'm in a you know new chapter in life being effectively an empty nester, my wife and I. So that's been a, created a little bit more ability to do some of the travel that we were prioritizing before with our family. But of course you're dictated by their schedules. Your, my daughter's schedules dictated everything. And now we have a lot more freedom. So. We uh, we're used to paying three x for a hotel room Christmas week and Thanksgiving week and President's week in the U.S. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's right. It's, it's nice to pay a reasonable rate for a room or for travel. Yeah. Being able to go anytime you want to do. The other thing, staying on sports, is tell our viewers more about the football coalition. I thought that was absolutely fa- fascinating. Tell me. Yeah. So you know, quick quick sort of background. You know, my before I started my first business, my entire life as a child was related to soccer. You know, all of my passions and goals and dreams were playing in college and playing professionally and being an All-American. Those were the only things I ever thought about as a kid. And so soccer, you know, was a very, very big part of my life. And um, fortunately, I, you know, I checked off a lot of my goals along the way. And then when I entered the business world, I, I really always kept that passion. A lot of my companies over the years had a soccer theme or a soccer customer base. You know, I kept kind of circling back around to this area that I was passionate about. And long story short, when we initially moved to Barcelona, which was in about 2014, as a family, I was pretty shocked by um, the size of the organizations like Barcelona and Real Madrid are some of the most valuable sports franchises on earth up there with the, you know, above actually the Yankees and Cowboys and things like that. But they also, the experience at those matches was very different. You know, there's no two hour pregame tailgate and there's no uh, post game bar scene. And, you know, people literally show up for the matches 10 minutes before kickoff. And at the final whistle, it empties out, you know, hundred thousand people just dissipate. And so I kept thinking, you know, some of the U.S. style sports and entertainment fusion 
has to be coming to Europe because there's a huge benefit to fans because it's more fun and engaging and it extends the life of an event. But it's also really good for owners because they monetize all these other aspects. So very long story short, I had this kind of idea when we were living here that in my retirement, which I thought would be you know much further down the road, I would love to buy a lower division, second, third division team um, somewhere in Spain and as a kind of a hobby, just run a team. And I decided a couple of years ago that I wanted to take a look and see what that looked like. And as I dug in, I actually got really excited because the the opportunities we looked at, and I looked at about 20 clubs, did, did diligence on probably 10 plus. Um, everyone <clears throat> I looked at had similar characteristics. These are typically 50 to 100 years old. So incredible history, passionate fan base, you know, but very few of them are run professionally as a business. They have no revenue streams outside of ticket sales. They have no, you know, some of the things we talked about, entertainment wrapped around it. So I got really excited and said, I'm going to create a, a holding company called Football Coalition that's going to endeavor to change that. We're going to buy a club, potentially multiple clubs, which is kind of our plan, and really try to bring some of the business and entertainment value to what are traditional soccer or football assets. So that's kind of what we set out to do. And we completed our first acquisition, which is which has been awesome. Um, and, you know, just kind of looking at now we have more opportunities than I think we have time. Now that we're on the ground, it's it's truly eye-opening to see how many things they could have and should have done over the years. You know, it's interesting as a as a uh, as as a businessman, I think it's it's absolutely flat out brilliant. As a hardcore sports fan, I'm appalled for this reason. Like, I'll give you an example for three reasons. Like, you'll go to City Field to see the Mets, and they have a little mini fungo hitting station out in the outfield. So you have to wait in line for about two or three innings to let your kid take three fungo swings in the mini city field. Are you missing yeah. the game or or going to um, MetLife Stadium to see the Giants play football or the Knicks to see the Knicks play basketball at the Garden? Um, they have a private club, say, at halftime or between periods. And it seems by the time that people have their, their cocktail and their, there's something to eat, they've missed half the second period or half the second half. Uh, you know, right. so the seats are, are, are empty uh, because – They've been a too, you know, too much of an experience. Um, right. And then on top of that, the other thing that ticks me off as a sports fan is, is that then it allows uh, the 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 people that are not the hardcore fans to come in. They 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 they, they could care less. They're there for the, the experience. But as a business owner, I mean, it is it is flat out brilliant. And obviously, you're bringing sports to a lot of people that would not, you know, be be stepping into your venue. So I mean, you know, which leads me into I think people should know. You know that you know I didn't have you on to talk about, you know your 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 sports ownership. Well, I, I did, but that was one of the topics. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth. And in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. 
When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. Why don't you just tell people about the, the six companies that you founded and sold and then kind of take that, you know, then kind of take us into what you're doing right now. So, yeah, I guess I really, um, I described the early part of my life, which was kind of soccer. And from the moment I started my first business back in 95, um, everything really switched. I became a you know passionate entrepreneur. I was very fortunate in so many ways. You know, that business we started in 95, we had a eight-figure exit um, a few years later. So I'm in my mid-20s and I saw the results or potential results of if you work incredibly hard, you build something that has value and other people agree that there's value there, you you can sell it and you know make life-changing money for yourself and your employees and, and partners. And so I had, you know, a really positive experience with my first business. Um, and I just said, you know, I'm going to spend my life as an entrepreneur. I'm just super passionate about building things. And then I started my second company and it was actually soccer related and very quickly, sign of the times during the dot-com kind of, you know, explosion. I built, uh, scaled up and sold a company in less than two years for eight figures again. And so it was just this really positive, virtuous sort of cycle. Um, and but the other thing that happened right before or about a month actually after I sold that second company is my daughter was born, my first daughter. And I thought to myself, you know, every moment up until now, I've effectively been a workaholic. I was married and my wife was very understanding, but I was working seven days a week. I would sometimes fall asleep on the floor in the office and she'd call me and tell me to come home. And right, it was right. just, I define myself as, I just work. That's what I know how to do. And so I had this real interesting conflict of how do I become the kind of dad that's going to be home every night at five o'clock and coach the teams and carve the pumpkins when I'm a total workaholic. So I made a commitment to my, you know, unborn, but soon to be born daughter that I was going to be there. I wasn't going to miss anything. And over the next um, 20 years from that moment, uh, the the awesome thing is I dropped her off for her uh, freshman year at NYU about four years ago, and I could look her in the eye. I made a ton of mistakes like every parent does, but I I didn't miss anything. You know, I coached her teams. I was at the dances at two o'clock in the afternoon. I carved every pumpkin in every class, but I also built and sold four more companies. And so I, I really feel super strongly that, you know, as entrepreneurs, we can't accept those trade-offs that you you work hard and then if you if it all works out later in life you can enjoy your kids or you can be healthy or whatever the trade-off is so i spent a lot of years with the only two things in the world was whatever business i was running and time with my family which i optimized for very hard so if i think about you know the the highlight reel it's yeah i started scaled up and exited six companies 
I had some incredible experiences, but I, you know, I'm most proud of the decision to kind of, you know, spend the time I did with my family now that my girls are, you know, grown. Um, but I also didn't really understand what those experiences meant until after I sold my last business, which was October of 2018. And I was asked to speak in an event. And up until that point, I didn't even attend events, much less speak. I was heads down. So I went to this event. They asked me to speak about exits. I told them I wasn't a good speaker, but I got up on stage and shared the journey. I just said, here's what I learned. Here's what I did wrong. Here's the dumb mistakes I made. And here's a few things I did right. As I walked off the stage, and this was an impressive group of entrepreneurs, like I, I had massive imposter syndrome because I'm looking out at people in the audience and I knew who they were and I was impressed with their companies. And I'm thinking, why am I on stage? But they, a lot of people came up to me and said, I have investment bankers, I have CPAs, I have attorneys, and I have never heard what you just shared on the stage and I need your help. And so to kind of circle around to your question, from that moment, I thought, wow, this is great. I, I kind of want to be done building companies. I want to help people in the second part of my life. And I apparently have this unique set of experiences having exited six times and done it in what I now know is a unique way that I can share with other people. So I've kind of you know committed to mentoring, advisor, you know, advising entrepreneurs on that journey because it's a difficult one. Most people have one shot at an exit in their life, and it's the biggest financial opportunity they'll ever have. And most people do it wrong. So I want to help. You know, you know, as an exec, as a co, I don't know what would be the right term, be an executive coach, uh, showing people how to scale, you can use whatever term you want. I think the the the, the thing that gives you bone feeties is there's a lot of that people out there who want to coach you to tell you how to do it and have never done it themselves. And you've done it six right. times. Yeah. So uh, right. it gives you the, the credibility times to the nth power. Having said that, what does an engagement look like? Who are the kinds of who are the kinds of people? So if somebody's watching this today saying, hey, I own a business. I'm I'm successful, but I really need to scale it and take it. Tell, tell tell me two things. What what does an engagement look like with you, and and what can you expect as the result? So yeah, and I and I was pretty intentional about the way I structured. Um, I have a program called Exit DNA, and it is a very structured group that people join. I'd say most of our members we have. I mean, currently probably 50, 60 entrepreneurs from all over the world. Dubai, Slovenia, all over the US, Latin America, um, they're all in it for the same set of reasons. They have an interest in creating the option to exit in the future, and they recognize that they don't know how to maximize value. They know there are things that they could and should be doing that they believe I'm in a unique position to kind of help them. So the way Exit DNA works is if someone says, hey, I'd really like to have the option in a few years to sell this business and if I do, I certainly want to maximize value. I don't want to leave millions on the table or have the deal fall apart, which is very common. They join Exit DNA, and it's basically a combination of several times a month, I do live small group coaching sessions. And so they come to these live sessions where I teach our proprietary content and we do QA at the end of every session. So part of the value, candidly, as much as I like to you know, help people, and I feel like we have some unique things to say. We have entrepreneurs on the journey. You know, we just had one of our members about four weeks ago have an amazing eight-figure exit. And as they got closer and closer to exit, their questions in those Q&A sessions 
were so interesting because they're almost at the finish line, whereas other members may be two or three years away. So they're hearing that evolution of how do you get ready? What do you do when you get into diligence? How do you negotiate the final terms? And Mac and my other partners are giving them real-time advice and discussion. And, and so a lot of it is our content that we share, which we think changes the, the opportunity for a lot of companies. And then that sort of group dynamic where these members are also on the journey together. So it's a year-long program, not because it takes a year, but because everybody that joins Exit DNA is busy. They're all running companies. And I say, look, it, it, this ensures you have enough time to join as many live sessions as you can. You talk to me one-on-one, you talk to my investment banking team, and you can do it in 60 days or 45 days if you want, or you can do it you know, one session a month over the course of the year. It well, what's what's the cost of something like that? What would, the, what would somebody pay for that typically? So um, our pricing is about to go up at the end of the year. Right now, it's um, for most people, it's about 12500 to join the program. And the ROI, I mean, I hear it a lot. We have a lot of nice um, testimonials you know, it's almost unheard of that someone isn't adding hundreds of thousands, if not millions to their exit value and increasing the likelihood of exit and increasing personal freedom along the way, because those are all things that we talk about every week. So it's it's really a low cost kind of high. It, it seems almost free. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, meaning, uh, you know, I mean, so, so many programs, you're locked into a three-year contract for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, uh, that's there. By the way, I, my oldest son went to NYU, NYU as well. Uh, he graduated oh, cool. in twenty one. Uh, okay, awesome. so uh, but I guess they were maybe a year or two apart. How, how did your daughter enjoy NYU? She loved it. I, I have two girls, and they're they're like a lot of people that have multiple kids. They're you know polar opposites. My older daughter, um, yeah, went to NYU pretty much studied, I'd say seven days a week. I mean, she graduated NYU having never made a B, so straight A's all the way through. Where'd she learn that work ethic from? I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where the intelligence came from. I know it wasn't me, but yeah, she works hard. Um, But yeah, she didn't, yeah, she didn't go out a lot. And then I have a, my younger daughter who's at University of Miami as a sophomore who is, you know, having the time of her life at Drake concerts and at the clubs and balancing school and life. Um, but yeah, they're both they're both happy and in the right spots for them. So yeah, we uh, I, I remember my, when I was a kid, Miami was Suntan U, and now that's become one of the top thirty or forty universities in the country. Uh, really, yeah, did a great job at turning that into a major, not a football school, but a major, uh, you know, academic institution. Um, what's there? Couple couple things that yeah, no, it question, is, it's question. a great school and it's a fun place. You know what's interesting as I see people growing businesses. Uh, I have a couple of comments for you. When people say they want to grow a business, my comment back to them is you don't grow a business, you grow people and invest in people. Do you disagree with that? Could not agree more. I think, you know, people is one of the critical success factors, certainly in my career, but in just about any business I look at, advise. I mean, yeah, that, that is absolutely a fact. And the other thing that is also I find interesting, and maybe you could comment on this too, is I find that you, I, I love the word that you use. You, you don't talk about growth. You talk about scaling. And so the idea is, I think that that people that it's easier for people to concentrate on growing the business, but they're not scaling in the sense that it doesn't make any. It, it doesn't make that big a difference if you grow your business by fifty percent, if your expenses go up by fifty or sixty percent. 
to right. get there. You know, there's not any scaling going on. Any comment about people that you may be listening to this that says, hey, my business, my top line is growing very nicely. I'm very pleased with that. But at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily sure I'm I'm really scaling. Well, I think it's it's a really important point that, that you're making because the other thing why I love what what I'm doing with founders and entrepreneurs right now is we talk so much about creating the option to exit. But I always tell people, if you have the option to exit, you've also done a lot of other things really, really well. Because for example, no one wants to buy a business that has no margin. It's growing like crazy at the top yeah. line, but the expenses are tracking with it. Every time you get a new contract, you have to hire new employees and buy new computers. And like, you just can't break out of that you know, that that issue. And the other one, which is really important for entrepreneurs is no one wants to buy a business that the entrepreneur is in the critical path of everything. You have to you have to have your business designed so that it runs the same whether Mac is in the office or not, whether Mac is on a sales call. And I learned that very quickly because thankfully for me, I was so focused on prioritizing time with my family. I was just getting up and leaving and saying, you know, someone else take the mic. I mean, I'm going home. And what happened is I saw very very quickly, if I remove myself and if I have the right people, if I've hired them well, if I've trained them well, they're going to actually step up bigger and faster and take on more responsibility, which is really positive for me on a personal level because I have a lot more freedom. It also adds a lot of exit value because I can find lots of people that would say, I'd love to buy one of Max companies. I don't even know if he's working anymore. You know, he's never in the office and they, they're still doing great. So there's really good high correlation between personal freedom, scale and exit value. So if you're designing it and thinking about exit all the time and would someone like the way my business runs, it forces you to think about things like, is it truly scaling? Are we creating personal freedom? Because some of my companies it would have been easy for someone to say, I want to buy that company because I want Mac. And I never wanted that. I didn't want a five-year employment agreement. And you know, I, I wanted to say, no, no, the business is great. It runs without me. Look how good my team is. Look at the SOPs that manage our business and our processes are flawless. And then they could say, yeah, you're right, Mac. We'd love you to consult for a little bit, but you can move on with life. That's the perfect world. So, so I, I got to tell you, I, I know a lot of people that could benefit from what you do. Uh, uh, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the the, the show today. How could people uh, get in touch with you? How can people find out more about the program to see if it's right for them? So there's two things. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that, the kind words. Um, and, I, and I love helping people. So certainly anyone you think I should should help, I would love to. Um, I wrote a, a an ebook which I was selling. I sold thousands and thousands of it online and then I made it free. So at exitdna.com forward slash book, you can download a very simple, actionable ebook that tells you some of the things we've talked about today. Four critical steps I think every entrepreneur should make. And then on the course site, exitdna.com, you know, it talks a little bit about our program. You can see some testimonials and get a sense of, of what we do. So those are- Just give me that again. Just say that one more time. It's It's- it's exit DNA, DNA com, and then forward slash book for the ebook or just exit DNA.com for the, the, 
the main site. Well, Mac, I want to tell you that if you, you know, one of my pet peeves is that people who own businesses think they're entrepreneurs when they bought themselves a job. And I think that if they had access to some of your technology and, and wisdom, uh, I think that they could make that leap from business owner to entrepreneur in a, in a nanosecond. And I, I want to encourage anybody who's watched this to explore exitdna.com. I want to thank you uh, for talking to us this morning across the pond. And uh, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure that you and I will be in touch because uh, I think it, what you're doing is of great value to many people. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Mac. That wraps up another uh, episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast. Uh, I'm Mark B. Murphy, and thank you all for stopping by. Thanks, Mac. Uh, but by the way, I, I meant that sincerely. I, I, uh, I'm going to do my own homework on Exit DNA, and uh, don't be surprised if you hear from me or I, I set up uh, some interactions with a few of our clients. We represent about 4,000 entrepreneurs. And uh, if, if half of what you say is true, and I believe all of it's true, uh, yeah. it's a game changer. Well, thank you very much. I, I think, yeah, my biggest challenge is, is why I've started, you know, doing a few podcasts here and there is I've been heads down working. People don't know who I am and that I can help them. And thankfully, now when people join, I, you know, I had one of our members just refer five more people last week. So the word gets out, but it's really helpful if I have a nice relationship or partnership with someone like you, that if you vet it and you feel good about it, you can say, hey, you should you know, check out Mac, because I really do want to help people. and I know I can, but I have to reach them. So well, it's, it's clear. Uh, you know, here's what I'm doing. I am literally going to hang up with you. I'm walking next door and I'm having Maureen order your book. I will. Uh, you'll, you'll be hearing from me. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. In fact, maybe at some point I'll, I'll, I'll get the kids. We'll go to Barca. We're big soccer fans. We'll go see a Barca game, go to tickets and maybe catch a home game, uh, home game with your club. That sounds perfect. I'd love to have you. <laughs> Thanks, Mac. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mark. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, It's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.